Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. WQAD Podcast Network. Movers and shakers leading businesses, nonprofits, governments, and schools across the Quad City area, Illinois, and Iowa. How did they get started? What is their story? Their goals? Their advice for the next generation of the girl power movement? And now, here's your host for Wonder Women, News 8's Angie Sharp. Powerful women with powerful positions. This is the Wonder Woman podcast, a show dedicated to showing off the girl bosses in our community. My guest is Dr. Lauren Hughes. She's an associate veterinarian at Animal Family Veterinary Care Clinic in Davenport, Iowa. It's a mouthful, but we've got lots of exciting things to talk about. Welcome, Dr. Lauren. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a Wonder Woman, for sure. You do a lot for our animals in our community. Um, and so I'm so excited to talk to you today about exactly what you do and who and what you help. And you kind yeah. of joked with me uh, as we were talking um, just before we started recording that it's really anything with a pulse, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anything with a pulse, you know. Aside from people, uh, if it's got a problem, <laughs> I'll see it. So, And as um, our listeners know, we record all of our podcasts now uh, through phone conversations since we can't uh, be with our guests in person because of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm at our WQAD studios. Uh, Dr. Lauren, tell us where you are today. Sure. So I'm actually at the animal hospital at Niabi Zoo this morning. Um, I am contracted to Niabi Zoo through our veterinary clinic, and so I take care of everything on grounds from the tiny little frogs in the reptile house to our giant giraffe at the back of the zoo. Um, anything out here, it you know, it sees me for its preventative care and anything else it needs. So that is so interesting. I think when we think of veterinarians, um, you know, I have a dog, so I always think about dogs and cats and rabbits. Uh, but I yeah. don't necessarily think about Niabi Zoo and all of the animals there. They obviously need veterinary care and really uh, expert veterinarians to uh, help them with that care. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's very interesting. You know, there's different ways to get into zoo medicine, and we are very fortunate to have Niabi Zoo in our community. Um, you know, we're very lucky as a small town to have something like this that people can go to. And so because of that, you know, I think when most people think of zoo veterinarians, they think of all the cool, like, veterinary shows they see on National Geographic and, and Disney and all those sorts yeah, of like things. Yeah, like tigers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, the big zoos with, uh, fortunately for them, they're blessed to have a great donor pool and a larger community to pull from. And, you know, all these little zoos that you think of here and there, they all need expert veterinary care too so it's uh it's different but it's really it's really neat uh it keeps me on my toes 
every single day. I don't think there's been a day since I graduated that I haven't learned something new. So, Well, and I think it's such like a broad field because, like you said, you need to um, know how to care for the littlest, tiniest animals to the big ones. It's not just dogs and cats. So was that how you got started in this career field? Did you career field? Did you think that you were going to just start with like regular um, home animals and then you went into kind of the zoo veterinary care or how did you kind of get this passion? Yeah, so I mean I'm, I'm the classic story of like you hear every, most veterinarians are like, oh I knew since I was five and I <laughs> always loved dogs. That's not untrue, like I've always known that I wanted to be a veterinarian since a very young age. I, my mom will attest to that for sure. Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, though, once I got into college. So I've always known it was veterinary medicine, but I didn't exactly know what area I was going to end up in because we live in a community that has a lot of farms surrounding. So right. there was a, a point in time where I thought I was going to do a mixed practice and see, you know, hobby farm or beef cattle or equines, a huge demand. We've got a lot of horses in the area. Um, and then I ended up doing in undergrad some different work study programs and internships that got me more exposure to wildlife and local conservation and those sorts of things, um, which led me to putting in an application at Niavi Zoo for a position. Um, when we opened Lorikeet Landing, gosh, I think it was in 2006, so about 14 years ago, um, they were hiring for uh, people to hand out the nectar, you know, and now we've got the budgies, so it would be like the people who help hand out the sticks and, and monitor the parakeets. So that's what I applied for, just to get my foot in the door, um, and when I came out here, the person who's hiring at that time said, you know, I think you'd be better suited as a seasonal zookeeper with what you want to do. So I actually was a seasonal zookeeper out here for four summers um, during college and worked with some of the keepers I still work with now, which is an interesting aspect of things, and a, a, it's fun. Um, so a lot of these animals I've had relationships with for over 10 years, um, which is really neat. And then when I got into vet school, um, they have, it, it depends on which vet school you, school you go to, how they set up your clinical experience. And um, I was fortunate enough that I got accepted into the veterinary class at University of Illinois that was the first class to do um, like a, a collaborative clinical rotation curriculum. So most traditional vet schools, you are in the classroom for three years and your last year's clinicals. Um, in the new clinical-based class set setup that they have at Illinois, you actually start off your first eight weeks of vet school in the clinic paired with a fourth-year student and then some interns and residents. Oh, wow. So you get exposure. Yeah, it's really, really neat. Um, we joke that we were like class guinea pigs, but we really, <laughs> it's turned into a very, so um, yeah, right, exactly. Um, it's turned into a very uh, unique opportunity for people who apply to University of Illinois to get to do that sort of cooperative curriculum. And so it got you exposure to the veterinary side of those things early. Um, and one of those was the Wildlife Medical Clinic at the University of Illinois, which is fantastic. If you don't know anything about that organization, um, they do so much for local conservation uh, with rehab and education and getting animals released back to the wild. 
And so it just kind of fueled my passion for kind of that non-traditional uh, species route um, and gave me an opportunity to do a lot of internships a lot of different places. So I think a lot of people don't realize some local expertise that's here. Um, you know, I went out of my way because I knew I wanted to come back and give back to my community uh, in a new, unique way. So I went out of my way to get experiences to do that and worked at places like Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs and uh, Columbus Zoo in Ohio, Brookfield Zoo up in Chicago, um, the Raptor Center in North Carolina that does exclusively birds of prey. So there's a lot of experience I brought back to the area, which is a unique thing for us because a lot of people think of the Illinois students go back to southern Illinois and work on farms or exactly. they go up to Chicago, you know. So it's, it's been really awesome to bring a lot of that back to the community. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been able to travel a lot and see and meet different kinds of animals and probably learn about different aspects and varieties of veterinary care as well. Yeah, it's been neat. And a lot of it, you know, I fortunately, I have a very supportive spouse. We've been married the entire time I've been doing all of this. We've been together since before I started vet school. So um, he was very supportive because he and I lived apart that entire time. And, you know, he and I both kind of sacrificed some things there to end up coming back to the community that we both cared about. So it, that helped quite a bit, too. And just like back to the, um, the unique program that you had at University of Illinois, uh, there's so many um, industries or jobs, careers that start with the book, but I feel like veterinary care, you really do need to start with the animal. You need to start with what yeah. you're taking care of to know if this kind of career path is going to work for you. Yeah, I mean, that that's some of my biggest advice to people is, like, dip your toe in a lot of different places. Um, I think you'll be surprised at some of the stuff that you're interested in that you never considered before. Um, you know, never in my wildest dreams did I think, like, I would be um, sedating, you know, large exotic cats on a regular basis <laughs> or... Uh, you know, working on uh, venomous animals that oh, have yeah. potential to be real harmful, um, you know, working on animals that have such a high stress component that you have to work around. I mean, it's just, it's so unique what I get to do every single day. And it's also, you, it's also fun to provide a lot of that education to members of our community that have non-traditional pets as well, because um, we have quite a bit of people who don't even know that a lot of these animals do need vet care uh, annually at least. So, Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to ask you a question, and it's going to make me feel like I'm interviewing a five-year-old, but what is your oh, favorite funny. animal? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, I have such a love-hate relationship with that question. I'm because sure. it's, it's very, um, gosh, well, one, it depends on the day because <laughs> some of them are more more compliant on certain days than others. Um, you know, honestly, jokingly enough, I always tell people snakes are my favorite. Really? Um, and it always catches people off guard because it's like you think of the big charismatic, like, megafauna, like the giraffe. and um, right, or the giraffe, or, yeah. Yeah. The giraffe are notoriously um, not friends with me, and we do not get along on a day-to-day -day basis. They uh, know who I am and don't appreciate me in any way. Um, you know, you so, to them? 
<laughs> oh, you know, I drew blood and took care of them and kept them Hope alive. Pride, you know, minor yeah. minor things, I mean, but, you know. Um, the snakes are neat, and I, I joke because it's one of those animals that once you have them um, restrained or contained in an appropriate way, <laughs> there's really only one section of them that can be harmful, and the rest of them are pretty benign. You know, you can have a dog who's not happy to be at the vet, and it can still scratch you, even though you have the mouth under control. The snake's pretty simple once they're subdued. So um, I joke that they're my favorite because they're the most compliant most of the time. That's funny. What about your least favorite? Uh, you know, we like, are, have, are there any animals that you're scared of? Like, I hate um, I spiders. I cannot, yeah, I cannot see, do it with spiders. I like spiders. I'll see Ugh. spiders. Like, people have pet tarantulas and those Ugh. sorts of things that we no have. Way. Yeah, we have those things out here at the zoo that I don't mind taking care of. Um, the ones that I don't like at all, though, are, like, the millipedes and the centipedes. I can't. Um, all the legs. We have... Yeah, ugh, buh, no thanks. Um, we have a Spineless Wonders exhibit that, you know, unfortunately due to COVID, we haven't been able to share with a lot of people yet, but there's a lot of creepy crawly things up there. And I can do just about any of them, but the millipedes and the centipedes are, that's where I draw the line. I don't, there is no purpose to have that many legs. I don't know what they're doing. I can't figure out their behavior at all. I'm good. Like, I don't. I don't need to do anything with them, and they don't really need anything from me. So we <laughs> live in mutual benign neglect of each other, and that's fine. <laughs> so, so spiders with eight legs, okay. But when you get eight more than eight legs, you're, you're yes. out. You're good. You're done. I'm out. I do have a limit. You know, yes. If they move faster than me, I like. I yeah. I can't. It's a little much for me. Yeah. Oh, so funny. I love that. Good. I'm glad that I asked that question. Um, yeah. As you were going through school um, and being, you know, one of the first, the guinea pig in this University of Illinois program, and now um, spending some time in your career, um, what's the ratio of men and women? Is it rare to have a woman in your position? You know, actually, it's quite the opposite. Um, in, the, in the veterinary field, it is a very female-dominant uh, career setting, and it's very interesting. I think there's, there's a lot of theories as to why that changed, because the first veterinary classes were all men for years and years and years, and you'd get one or two women here and there, you know, when, when we were allowed to leave the home in the 50s yeah. or whatever, they decided whatever. Anyway, <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Uh, whatever whatever they decided that we were allowed to do more than raise children, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but now it's a very female-dominated career, and I think a lot of that is because of what we do. You know, not to say men aren't compassionate, but there's a difference um, in the level of compassion and empathy that's involved day to day. Um, there are male veterinarians in our area, definitely, and we have uh, two at our veterinary practice right now, uh, but the vast majority is female, uh, female dominant, and um, I think some of that, too, is the um, balance of having a family and having a career this is one of those places that you can do that, and it's it's very unique. Um, I have pictures of like I, me and a lot of my girlfriends who are the same age and graduated together of like, hey, you got called in for an emergency surgery and you've got a baby strapped, you know, in a carrier to your back because if it needs to be done, it needs to be done, and we're just going to show up and get it done. Um, and you've got a lot of women helping women in the career field, which is which is fun. It's a nice place to be, 
Um, you're with people who understand the demands of, you know, being a, a boss and also having a family and, and kind of working those sorts of things together. I mean, I my maternity leaves were small. Um, some of it my own doing, so not that's not like across right. the board. It's my own thing. Um, but it, uh, you know, was neat because I've got pictures with both of my girls when they were real young doing stuff with me at the office or at the mm -hmm. zoo uh, just because that's that's how we make it happen, you know. So it, it's very female dominant at this point. So you have two daughters? I do. I have two daughters, yeah. Uh, so what do they think of mom being like the animal doctor? What the, Do they call you that? Do they have a nickname for you? Yeah. Um, they don't. They... It's very. It's a unique opportunity for both of them. Um, I've ruined them, I think, in a, in some ways. You know, like grandma and grandpa take them to the zoo, and her her poor grandma. We were in Florida visiting them, and she's like, "Look, Regina, it's a monkey." And Regina just looks at her and says, "Grandma, that's an orangutan," and just walks away. Oh my. You know, like, okay. I've ruined them a little bit in that way, um, but they, I think, have seen from a very early age, you know, compassion and care for the creatures that we have in our area and care for the creatures on the planet, and, and it's created a level of responsibility um, in them already. They do think it's pretty cool. They talk about the oldest one is five, so um, she talks about it with her friends sometimes that, you know, my mom's at the zoo today and she's working on a monkey, and, you know, those, I don't know how often, I don't know how often they actually believe her, but, um, yeah. <laughs> She thinks it's pretty cool. The youngest one is indifferent to most things. <laughs> She's two. Um, so unless it's like Cocoa Melon or some other awful, <laughs> like repetitive sing-song, sing-along thing, she's disinterested right now, but she loves the animals, so I think she'll baby figure it sharks, out. Baby sharks, right? Baby sharks. Yeah, oh my God, her favorite. She loves baby sharks, yes. <laughs> baby shark is her favorite. And, and speaking of that, have you been able to uh, work with, uh, or is that, a, I mean, I guess that's more like marine biology, right? Is that a totally different category? So it is and it's not. Um, we had the oceans exhibit up until last year, so I did work with all of those aquatics. Um, we had some sharks here that I worked with, and then um, during some of my internships, I did some uh, marine biology-based sorts of things, so dolphins and walruses and um, semi-aquatic mammals like hippopotamus and those sorts of things I worked with. Cool. Um, you know, yeah, I think some of that we just, it's eventually I think we'll be able to get some more like semi-aquatic animals out here, but you know, time and money, those are the things that that, that part takes. So. Yeah, well, and you need to have the correct envi environment for it. You yes. need to make sure that you have a safe environment for those kinds yes. of animals Yeah, safe well. environment, appropriate water quality. Yeah. Um, you know, maintaining appropriate water quality is a whole beast within itself. Um, but I, you know, I say a lot of times being um, a veterinarian who works at a zoo and who works with non-traditional species, you know, I have to be really good at a lot of little things, but then I get yeah. to call on my friends who are more specialized to help me when I need really specific things. Um, so, I mean, I've got a friend who's a veterinary ophthalmologist in Utah. I've sent her some things specifically related to eye care um, and gone through some things with her and gotten her advice because I know enough about eyes, but not specific enough details that sometimes we need to phone a friend, you know. And yeah, that's, that's part, very specialized. Yeah, that part's nice, too, that 
you create this network of people who have specialties that you work with, and because of the animals that I work with, and some of them closely resembling humans, um, I also have established some fun relationships with human doctors, which makes everyone <laughs> laugh that I say that, um, with human doctors in the area as well. So that part's been really neat. Of all, like, the variety of animals, um, what is, is there one thing that they all have in common or one kind of philosophy that you have when it comes to the care that you give your animals? Yeah, so, you know, my biggest thing when I look at any sort of care plan for an animal long term, whether that be um, a dog you have at your house or a rat that your son has in their bedroom, um, one of the, let's say, large cats out here, the biggest thing that I look for is their overall quality of life. And what can I do to make their quality of life the best it can possibly be for the circumstances that they're in? Um, you know, there's a lot of people that think zoos shouldn't exist, um, that sort of animals in captivity in general shouldn't exist. Sure, right. And there's aspects of that that I agree with um, to the point of, you know, there, you never want to take an animal from the wild and keep it in captivity. You never want to remove it from that place. What we have a responsibility to do, however, is to educate people as to how to keep those species alive and keep them in the wild. And that's a part of why it's so important to give all these animals under my care the best quality of life they can have so that they can be the best examples of these species, um, again, whether it be the dog you have at home or the, the big lion I'm working with out here, you know, I want them to be the best example of what their quality of life should be to create a passion in people to care about the environment around them, you know, and I think that that, unfortunately, you know, while technology is a blessing um, in so many ways, I think we're losing a lot of that fire um, to be passionate about the world around you because it's literally blocked off by a computer screen. And uh, I, I definitely, for my kids, don't want that. I don't want that to be their future. I want them to run in the woods and uh, have dirt in their hair and tear mm -hmm. up their skirts and, you know, <laughs> do all sorts of things like that um, because I think it's going to make our, our planet that we have such a big responsibility for such a better place in the end. Um, so I really look at the quality of life, and that, that to me is the most important thing. And, you know, I think it's a gift in some ways, too, that when we get to that point with our own pets, I know many people have been through having to make end-of-life decisions, um, I take that very seriously as well in the aspect of their quality of life and being able to give some relief if their quality of life isn't good anymore. Yeah. So I, I think that's the most important thing to me. Yeah, I think that's, that's so beautifully said, especially because you work with such a big quantity of animals yeah. that it comes down to one thing, and that's quality. 100%. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I know that you said that, um, you know, women are pretty dominant in this industry, but did being a woman factor into your story? Do you think that being a woman still factors into your career and what you plan to do in the future? Oh, 100%. I think that... As women, um, we are very good at putting ourselves on the back burner and saying yes 
to everything all the time. Yeah. It's something yep. I'm, you know, it's something I'm actively working on. You know, setting some of those personal boundaries. Um, and I think it's very challenging when you're in a career field that is so public service oriented that you can easily get bogged down and overwhelmed and forget why uh, you're in the industry and why you got started and, and lose the passion for it. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I want to work on and, and still actively work on, working on is trying to find a way where you can feel valued as an employee but also have the ability to say no and have that being have have the saying no be empowering. It doesn't mean you're a bad employee. It doesn't mean you're um, a bad not working hard. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean you're not working hard. It doesn't mean you have put priorities aside. It's more trying to create a value into the services you're providing, create that value to the clients you're working with, and then recharge yourself so you can give all of you you into the areas you're passionate about, whether that be your job, your family, um, your spouse, your own pets, you know, whatever. Um, so trying to kind of change the culture with women in the workplace that way, I think as a, as a country, we are definitely behind the eight ball. Um, you know, and there are some places that are much more... Um, flexible when it comes to women in careers, but I mean, yeah, right. uh, you know, progressive and flexible and, you know, I'll tell you right now, I mean, some days I feel like Wonder Woman and, and some days I feel like the woman who cleans the toilet on her invisible plane uh, <laughs> between, you know, yeah. the full-time full job and raising two daughters with my husband who are in remote learning now and adding right. that in, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot to juggle and I think that creating that sort of safe work environment for women to feel like they can do all of those things and still be a good employee or a good boss or a good um, contributor to whatever cause or, or company they're working in. I think that's something that I really want to, you know, continue to develop in the field. Well, I mean, and goodness, that theme that we were just talking about with your philosophy for care is quality over quantity, and that's the exact yeah. same philosophy that you have as a Wonder Woman is quality yeah. of life and quality of your career over working 80 hours a week and driving yourself yeah. mad. Yes, and it's hard, you know. I mean, we all do it. Life, life is, a, you know, hills and valleys, right? Like yeah. there are days where you are smooth sailing and you feel like you are absolutely unstoppable. And there are other days where, you know, I want to go home and just like sit in a corner and, not talk to anyone or do anything for <laughs> yeah. at least an hour, um, and it just doesn't work that way, you know. So I think it's it's a progress, right? Progress, progress over perfection, and it's trying yeah. to find a way, um, you know, trying to find a way to make your life as meaningful as it can be without running yourself into the ground. And I'm actively working on that all the time. I, mm -hmm. I'm some weeks I'm way better at it than others. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not always a silver bullet. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, now to our questions that we ask all of our Wonder Women. Certainly, Dr. Lauren, you're a Wonder Woman to us. What is a Wonder Woman, though, to you? Was there anyone that you looked up to as you were uh, growing up and getting into this profession? Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to be cheesy to a point, but um, I my love mom you. is... No worries. <laughs> my mom is one of them. Um, she is a pretty kick-ass person. Um, <laughs> she raised all four of us. 
um, on her own and still let us wow. get involved in, you know, whatever we needed to get involved in to make us the people that we are. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids, so I know my siblings can attest to that too. Um, so, you know, she was pretty awesome and had to go back into um, the workforce after being a stay-at-home mom uh, the majority of her life after she and my dad separated. And so, um, you know, she's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, I looked up to her a lot as far as trying to just be successful in whatever that means. Um, mm -hmm. And she felt very successful in being able to raise her kids and, and have them do um, the passions that they wanted to do, um, which, I mean, veterinary medicine was definitely something that she was not interested in. And she loves animals, but not, not the way that I <laughs> right, very right. for her. Um, and all of us kids are very different. Uh, my sister is into photography and works for um, an insurance company and has is almost uh, my fifth nephew is on the way here very soon from her. She's got five boys wow. and then uh, my brother's got two kids and is into uh, construction and cars and auto work and all that. And my youngest brother, like, ask him anything about the Avengers or working at a haunted house. And he's, you know, we're all into such different oh things. Oh, my gosh, she so promoted, different from each other. Yeah, 100%. Um, and she promoted a lot of those passions, so that's pretty, pretty awesome, you know. And she's she's a cool lady. That's great. So, and I love that that you said um, finding success in everything. Success doesn't necessarily equal career success. Correct. I mean, her success was raising four kids to follow their passions, and I think that, oh, that is definitely a, a great attribute of a Wonder Woman. I think so, too. I think it's really unfortunate that we live in a society that, like, shames for fun, you know? Yeah. I, so I know that I would have never been able to stay at home and um, raise the kids as my sole career. Mm -hmm. I know women who do that, and I do not respect them any less. Um, you know, I don't feel like women who don't want to have children are any less of Wonder Woman because they just know that that's not what they want to do. I think it's very unfortunate that society tries to put these boxes around things, you know, that you you um, only focus on your career so you didn't have kids. Well, no, she didn't yeah. have kids because she didn't want to have children or she couldn't have children. Right. Um, there's a lot of, you know, frustrating aspects of that that come up, and I just, it's very unfortunate that we live in, uh, society that makes some of those things so easy and the accountability for it so little uh, because, in my opinion, I think that women in general are pretty fabulous and uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter to me what your lifestyle is. I think that, you know, what you do is pretty awesome. So, Yeah, and I, I, that's why I love asking that question of what is a Wonder Woman to, to our guests because the answer is always totally different. There is no right or wrong answer to that question. And so I love that you brought in your mother's story um, and how that has helped create you into a Wonder Woman because she was one in such a different way. I think that's amazing. Thanks. I think so, too. Um, so you have two daughters. Um, yes, ma'am. We, we want to keep the girl power movement going in our society because, as you have pointed out, we still have a lot of work to do. So do you have any advice? for the next generation of all of our badasses uh, and our females in our, uh, in our world? Yeah, so, you know, uh, my two daughters, I have uh, Regina and Frances, um, Reggie, Frankie. They're <laughs> fun. Yeah, we, we have a good time. And, um, it sounds know, like a sitcom. Reggie and Frankie. Oh, yeah, Reggie and Frankie. <laughs> Wednesday nights on ABC. Most, 
I mean, <laughs> most days it is. Let me let me tell you. Um, so you know, I, I joke that I've created my own um, tiny diva army, and uh, people your little know sorority. Me. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, people who know me and know my personality well and hear some of the things that the girls say or do just laugh because they know I've created my own monsters, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> You know, but I, my biggest advice to anyone, um, you know, kind of goes back to a little bit of what I was talking about before, is don't feel like you have to fit in some sort of box. Mm -hmm. um, if there is a career, if there is a passion that you have and that area doesn't exist, there's no reason you can't try to create it. Um, you know, if say, say one of my daughters wants to be um, a veterinarian uh, when they're older and decides she wants to go into physical therapy and rehab because that's an up-and-coming thing. We don't really have that in this area, but I bet if you're passionate enough about it and make a strong enough case for it, you could create it, you know? Yeah, I um, and I feel, I feel that way a lot with my kids. You know, I... I don't just give them, you know, Barbie dolls and princesses. Now, if that's what they want to play with, absolutely, whatever. That doesn't matter sure. to me. But they also know that if she wants, if one of them wants to get out on the tractor with dad and start digging up the retaining wall and <laughs> do it all while wearing a skirt and a unicorn headband, you don't know, go for it. I, you know, don't put yourself in any sort of um, compartment. Uh, just be passionate about something, um, and, and if you're passionate about it, likely you'll be able to create that sort of career for yourself. Um, you know, I, I joke in some ways that I got to where I am because of a lot of luck, um, but in reality, you know, looking back on it, it's like I knew what I wanted to do, and I was going to figure out a way to do it and still live in the area I wanted to live and be near my family and, and do the things I wanted to do and kind of manifested that. Um, and so I think that that's a really important thing, you know, especially for women. Just because a woman isn't doing it now doesn't mean it can't happen. Well, yeah, and look at, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, like you were saying, women weren't really in your career field, and now they're exactly. the majority. Yep, we're the dominant, we're the dominant force, you know. So um, someone I has to break, that, the, break the glass ceiling first. That's right, you know. And I think that's the other part of it too. I think as women, we're willing to settle in certain aspects because we don't always feel like we deserve certain things. And I think that's crap, personally. Yeah, um, you know, I I love my husband. Let's let's let's. Every good woman's quote starts with "I love my husband." Um, <laughs> I love my husband, but I also made it very clear to him in the beginning that I love you, I don't plan on going anywhere, but please know that if I do, I'm going to be okay. You right. know, so um, I really like to try to instill that in, in my kids, but in young women too, that like you don't need a man with you to be successful. However, having one that is supportive is very important. Oh, yeah, um, that makes it you know, so much more of a richer yeah. kind of marriage and relationship, yeah. too, when you have a, a good partner. A supportive partner is huge. Yeah, a supportive partner is huge. You know, no matter who you end up with in life, no matter yeah. um, what your relationships are, you know, finding that group of people that's supportive, 
um, that's huge. And I definitely have that with my husband and some of my girlfriends who have been with me uh, since the very beginning, you know. So it's, it's very, um, very important to me that they know that, you know, if there's something you want to do, just do it. Figure it out. Like, you, we will find a way to make it happen. Yeah, commu community, collaboration, compassion, and like we've been talking about, quality over quantity. Yep, 100%. Lauren, thank you so much for being one of our Wonder Women. It was such a joy to talk to you and learn more about your life and um, just hear more about your passion for um, women in our community and uh, the animals, too. You know, I think that yeah. I, it's just wonderful to hear um, different perspectives of of um, what you have been able to do in our community. Oh, thanks. I, it, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm very um, open to if anyone ever is interested in the career field or interested about aspects of our community in general, um, I feel, you know, very strongly about giving back to the community that raised you. So, um, you know, I think that anyone who wants to learn, more than more than happy to share. That's wonderful. I love, I love hearing that, too. And so we will make sure that we put Dr. Lauren's information um, on our website at WQAD.com. So if you're listening to this podcast through uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, however you're listening, head to WQAD.com. Click the Podcast tab that's under the News tab at the top of our homepage, and there you'll find Dr. Lauren's story, as well as um, the stories of all of our Wonder Women. We have so many wonderful ones in our community, and we will continue to share their stories with all of you. But for now, ladies out. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.